Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will move to and through you from today's message. If this podcast helps you spiritually, will you consider helping us naturally? You can give online or become a monthly partner as we aim to help more ministries and release more content. You can give online today at thelife.cc. Enjoy today's message. The title of today's message is The Intentional Father. The Intentional Father. Now, I grew up with an intentional father. Really, my dad was my hero. Uh, He passed away when I was 17. He was 44. Uh, But before he left, he left a legacy, um, a legacy of faith. I was actually at a homegoing celebration, for those of you who are not familiar with that term, funeral. For us as Christians, we know death is not goodbye, so we call it a homegoing celebration because we know we'll see him again. But um, I was actually there at this funeral, and I see this family honoring this man, husband, father, and it, it made me think of the legacy my father left me, and it also made me think of the legacy I want to leave. And my father was a good father. He wasn't perfect. None of us are. I'm not. Uh, you're not. Uh, he wasn't. But he was good, and he was my hero. And out of that, I I have moments that I can look back at, some of those I'll share today, that were transformative in my life. Uh, These moments helped make me who I am. Uh, I went through a time in my teenage years where I drifted from the Lord. And, you know, while I look back, there's a part of me that wants to say, like, nothing too severe. Like, but then I also know that there were moments that were really dumb Uh, really immature, and things that could have hurt my father, things that could have hurt the ministry, things that could have hurt me. And I was navigating that while trying to keep a very public uh, facade of like the PK kid who has no issues. Like I was very good at the politics of it. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. What do you need, sir? If that makes you happy, I will gladly do it, sir. Like all of those kinds of things while behind the scenes, my life was kind of lived in a different way. And I don't know if you can relate to that, or maybe some of you young people are kind of wrestling with that now. But my father was a man of the spirit, and I knew that. And so I I would try, especially in those seasons of sin, uh, to not get too close. There was a strategic issue, though. In our house, we had the living room, and then we had a half bath. And the living room was where, you know, as a family, we kind of watched TV, or even if I wanted to watch it as an individual, would be where I would watch TV. And um, the half bath was right by his office. So in order to get to the half bath, you would have to walk by his office. Now, his office was like ground zero for God, uh, like holy ground. And you knew when he's in there, he's talking to God. And of course, God knows everything. And so he could reveal the secret life that I was living. So I would often take the time to go all the way upstairs to use the restroom versus walk by his office uh, to use the half bath. Uh, But on one particular day, I was lazy and uh, 16, which, you know, kind of correlates to lazy. Uh, I'm kidding. If you're 16, I joke. Uh, So, but out of that, I'm like, I'll just go to the half bath versus going up the stairs and his doorway was a little closed. This was actually um, July of 2000. 
And I remember that because of what I'm about to tell you. But anyway, uh, so I, I kind of tiptoe over into the half bath, and then I'm walking out, and I hear my father's voice. And he's like, Joel, come in here. I want to talk to you. And immediately, I don't know if you've ever had this as a child where your heart just sank. It's like, oh my gosh, like I feel like I'm falling through the floor right now. Like the the weight of my sin is about to be open in front of my father and like all of these kinds of things. And so I'm like, keep calm, keep calm, keep calm, keep calm, put on the good public facade. And it's like, yes, sir, my beloved dad, anything you want, sir, I would love to have a talk with you, sir. Uh, So like go in the office and he had this big leather chair. To this day, it's my favorite piece of furniture. It's actually in my living room now. Um, He had this chair in the corner of his office, and then he had his desk with his office chair behind it. And I sat down in that chair because he told me to. (laughs) And so I sat down there, and he's on the other side. And he says, Joel, you know, I know things that you don't know. And I knew what he meant by that. It wasn't like, you know, you're ignorant and you're the child, I'm the parent, listen to me. It was, my father was a drug addict before Jesus. And he knew things about the world that I did not know about the world. Um, I didn't know the pull of addiction. I didn't know what that looked like in a life. I didn't know or had walked through some of the places he had walked through while obtaining drugs and doing drugs and all of those things. He said, I know things you don't know. And I knew what he meant. And so he said, I need you to listen to me. If you ever did A, B, and C, and it was the exact things I had done that week. And I'm like, I repent, Father, before you, because you saw it all before my fa- I repent in Jesus' name. Like, moment. But he said, if you ever did A, B, and C, it's the exact things that I had done. He said, do you know what kind of harm that could bring to you? Because I don't think you do. Do you know what kind of harm that would bring to me? Because I don't think you do. And then he went through this process of reminding me who I was. To him, to the Lord, and what I was called to do. And on that day, he gave me a book. And it's funny, in between services, I remembered, I actually have this book in my office here. And he gave me this book. Uh, It's the original John G. Lake, Lake devotional. He pulled it off. He said, I bought something for you. And he opened it up, and in front of me, he wrote in it on the, on the front. And this was on July 4th, 2000. And it's interesting, like, you, many of you have heard my testimony of how all the way through childhood, I would have these moments of surrender, but my true moment of surrender happened when I was 17. And it wasn't, I always say this, it wasn't like anything spectacular, like altar call, come to the altar, crying, or like summer camp. It's like, I'm going to burn all my CDs. And I mean it this time. It wasn't like any of those kinds of things. It was like this logical choice of like, if I keep going in the direction I'm going now, it is not going to be good for me. And just getting down on the side of my bed, kneeling and saying, Jesus, I want you in my life. And it changed me. 
But it's funny, I was thinking about that in between this service and last, and I, I thought back to this moment because this was a couple of months before that decision. Um, my father passed away um, in April of 2001. He gave me this on July 4th, uh, 2000. And he wrote in here, to my tender son. Joel, John G. Lake was one of God's choicest servants. And I believe you are too. I pray you catch this man's love and devotion to our Lord and Savior. Just as he did. You are always in my heart and always in my prayers. I love you. Let this book begin a fresh spiritual freedom for you in Christ. And in this moment, like, I'm bare before my father. Like, I know, I know he knows what I did. And I also know, like, in that moment, like, he could have come really hard on me because what I was doing could have hurt his ministry. But he did not come with punishment. And don't get me wrong, sometimes correction and punishment is needed. Hebrews 12 tells us, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects. He corrects for our good, which should always be the reason why we correct. But sometimes with our children, the reason why they're acting the way that they're acting is they actually need a blessing from the Father. And he gave me a gift that day. And it was exactly what I needed. And while it didn't lead to like the full conversion that happened a couple of months later, I never did what I was doing ever again. Because he reminded me who I was to him. And he reminded me who I was to the Father. And he reminded me of the plan God had for my life. And that is the intentional father. And that moment is on like my father's highlight reel, and we all have them as people. If, if you're not familiar with that, just check social media. We all have highlight reels of moments where we handled things correctly. There were plenty of moments where my father was not perfect, and there have been plenty of moments in my own journey where I have not been a perfect father either. But God doesn't need perfect people. If you were perfect, he never would have had to send Jesus. God sent Jesus because all of us are imperfect. And it's okay if you haven't been the most perfect father. It's okay if, if you're even unsatisfied with who you've been all the way up to this point. God is incredibly patient. But I want this message, especially for the men and the fathers, to be something that the Spirit uses to just seal something in you. In the book of Ephesians, we can open up to it. Um, it writes something very interesting to us. And it says, and many of you know this, in verse 1, Children, Ephesians 6 and verse 1, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, 
so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Fathers, so he's about to talk directly to me, to anybody here who's a father, anybody listening to this. Do not provoke your children to wrath and anger, but bring them up, lift them up, raise them up in the discipline in the instruction of the Lord. Um, the Good News translation says this. Or I'm sorry, the God, God's Word translation says, Fathers, don't make your children bitter about life. Instead, bring them up in Christian discipline and instruction. I, I read a book uh, about two years ago called The Intentional Father. And this book is good. I, I make mention of it now. I'll mention it later with the key point. But if you're a man, I'd strongly encourage you to get this book and read it. I don't do this often. So, but when I do it, it's because I think it'll help you. Uh, this is a book that if you're a father, it will help you. It will challenge you. And in this book, he highlights that there are five types of fathers. And I thought this was good. Number one, you have the irresponsible father. And the irresponsible father is the child that creates life but takes no responsibility for the life he created. He creates a son, he creates a daughter, but he does not take responsibility for the life that he created. The second type of father is the ignorant father. This is the father who has taken responsibility for his son and daughter, but he has no idea what he's doing. (laughs) And I don't know if any of you have ever felt that way in fatherhood. I know I have. But I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. And the ignorant father just doesn't know. And so out of that ignorance, sometimes it causes pain. Because he doesn't know. He doesn't know how to correct. He never saw anybody correct. Um, He talks to the child the way he talks to himself. It's the only way he knows how to talk to the child. And so he's really upset with himself. And so out of that, he just corrects the child like he corrects him. He doesn't know any different. And it's not that he's bad. It's just ignorant. He doesn't know. And so we have a generation that like points to men and says, be a man. And they're like, I don't know how. What does that even look like? Uh, And so out of this, uh, he doesn't know, and because he doesn't know, it can cause hurt. The next level of uh, fatherhood is the inconsistent father. This is a father who knows. Uh, Through church, through books, through maybe having a father or having a mentor, he knows this is what a good father does. This is how a good father talks to his children. This is how a good father corrects his children. This is how a good father walks and works with his children. He knows. The problem is, is he has all of these aspirational values, and these aspirational values come through culture, they come through books, but it's like, here's what a good father is. That's an aspirational value, but he finds himself constantly not living up to it, especially in moments of stress. When moments of stress come in, He knows, I shouldn't talk to them this way, but I find myself talking to them this way. I shouldn't be so frustrated, but I am frustrated. I shouldn't walk out, but I'm walking out. So he has all of these aspirational values. He's not ignorant anymore. He knows what a good father should do. He just finds himself inconsistent in getting to those aspirational values. That there are personal and generational pulls. 
that pull him back to moments of frustration. And there are things in and of himself from generations before or things that are introduced on a personal level that pull him back to those moments of immense frustration with himself. It's like Paul said, the thing that I know to do, these aspirational values, the thing that I know to do, Pastor Joel, I'm telling, I find myself not doing those things. And all this stuff that I don't want to do, I find myself doing that. What is that? Inconsistency. And it's because of personal brokenness. And so this father has personal brokenness in his own life that pulls him away from his aspirational values and causes frustration for himself and for his family. The next level of fatherhood is the involved father. Um, And for me, I, I was born in 1983. I will be 40 years old this year. I went to go get my eyes checked uh, Thursday just for a normal checkup. And this was the first time ever they gave me not just the numbers and, or the, the letters on the wall, but also gave me the card to read. And I'm like, what is this world I am stepping into right now? Uh, but, but anyway, a uh, child of the 80s. So a lot of my television watching came uh, during the 90s, which was like the golden age for the TV dad. And in the TV dads, you saw level four, the involved father. They win the hearts of their children. In fact, these TV dads won the hearts of America. Uh, Danny Tanner with Full House. Carl Winslow. Come on, somebody. Family Matters. What are my personal favorite? Philip Banks with Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Am I right? Uh, So out of that, you have these TV dads that captured our hearts because we see them involved in the lives of their family. They care if someone makes a bad grade. They're teaching their sons how to drive. Um, They are correcting uh, children when they're not talking right to a mom. And we see them involved so deeply in the lives of their children that their children love them, and then many people love these TV dads. Because they saw a a very um, present father, A, a father who was there, a father who cared, a father who fought for the hearts of his children. Um, you saw sacrifice of they would give up like a motorcycle so that their child could have a car. These types of things. And so we saw that type of love. And whenever you, you reach this level of fatherhood, you begin winning the hearts of your children. Uh, but there is another level, and that is the intentional father. And this is where you're not just winning the hearts of your children, but you're using that to point the child in the right direction. That you understand that a child is like an arrow and you can launch them in the right direction. So I'm not just winning their heart and throwing blanket lessons their way, but I'm establishing them in the kingdom of God and I'm using the access that God has given me in their life to establish him in them and to show them who they are in Christ and what they can do for him. Uh, So this is the stage where a child is not just loved, but they are empowered. And they are ready to face their wilderness. That in the world, they know that like beauty and chaos exist, but they will not be afraid. 
because they know they are blessed by the Father. More on that in a minute. So out of this, my goal is to be an intentional father. And my, my goal is as a pastor to help men also get to that level. And honestly, when I think about my, my 20 years in pastoring this church, I have not talked about this issue enough. And now that I'm getting older, I feel the need to be more fatherly. And I feel the need to really call to greatness men. Um, and so... As an intentional father, the first four things you do are just simply rectify the first four steps. You make a decision, number one, I will be a responsible father. I will not just create a life, I will be responsible for the life I create. This is, I'm about to say something incredibly simple. This is so simple, but if you can get it in your heart as a man, it'll change, it'll change the game. Years ago, I was sitting with some friends, it was actually a small group, and we were just talking about lessons we learned from our fathers. And some of the men had um, fathers in their life, others of the men never knew their father, but there were still lessons to be learned there. And so we were talking about these lessons that we had learned, and one of the men spoke up and he said, one thing that I got from my father that I very much appreciate is one thing he always told me was, is your family is your responsibility. Your marriage is your responsibility. And someone says, well, of course, that just sounds so simple. It's not, though, because I do marriage counseling a lot, and I've counseled with families and daughters and sons, and you know what I hear a lot? It's like, I'll tell you why we have a bad relationship. They don't listen to me. If, if they would stop talking to me this way, and so it's constantly shifting who's responsible. And as a man and as a husband, I want my family, my marriage, and my children to be my responsibility. And me having a good one is up to me. And regardless of their actions, attitudes, or behaviors, I can control my actions, attitudes, and behaviors. And the first lesson of responsibility is my response is always within my ability. That I cannot control the way they talk, but I can control the way I talk. And I cannot control the way they listen, but I can control the way I listen. And I can't control their anger, but I will control my anger. That out of this, my response is my, within my ability, and that is responsibility. And so I will become responsible for my family. Now, society just tells us automatically that if you just show up as a father, just, just show up. Like, you're not, you know, Philip Banks and Fresh Prince. You're just there. If you are there in the household, here's what it means. This is from a website called All Four Kids, for the number four. You can fact check me if you want. Uh, all for number four kids.org. If you have a father in your life, you're two times as likely to enter college or find stable employment. Just there. You're 76% less likely to have a teen birth uh, and teen pregnancy. You're 80% less likely to spend time in jail. Just having a father there. Keeps going. 85% of people in prison did not have a father in their lives. 
90% of runaway children have an absentee father at the time of their runaway. 71% of high school dropouts were fatherless. Just the power of a father figure in a home brings something stable there. And what our world needs is more attention along this line because we can throw any amount of money we want to throw at societal issues as a government or any of these types of things. But the key from what we see from all these statistics, this is not a Christian website, the key from all these statistics is there something about having a father taking responsibility for the life he created. There's something about having that person within the context of the family that is powerful in the family itself. That just that one aspect, if fixed, would radically change our prison system. It would radically change education. It would radically change our nation if we just had a call to action when it comes to fatherhood. Um, The second thing is we're not just going to take responsibility for our families, but we will educate myself on what fatherhood looks like. I I grew up with a great father. I mean, a really great one. And I can remember getting uh, married and five months after marriage, finding out my wife was pregnant. And so I started pastoring at 19, got married at 21. I've got my first child at 22. And life is moving, buddy. And I can remember Ava Reese, my first uh, child and my only daughter, coming into this world, and I am holding this baby. And I feel love, like I had never felt love like that before. But you know what I also felt? Responsibility. It's like, I have got to get my life together in every way. I don't know if any of you have ever felt like that before. But like, it was like this moment of like, I don't know what to do with you. I, 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 I want to protect you. Like, I will die for you, I would kill for you. <laughs> like, like, I, I want to protect you. Uh, but, like, I don't know what that cry means. I don't know if it means you're hungry or need to be burped. I don't know. And that was that first kind of moment of, like, I don't think I know what to do. And so many times, as men, we don't. We don't know what to do. And that's not a bad thing, but it's got to be a thing that's admitted. Because if I won't admit it, I won't take the time to gain the wisdom I need to be good at it. And I so wish like, that I knew now um, or then what I know now. Because I know so much more about fatherhood from walking through it. And so much more about fatherhood from seeing it and experiencing it. And I see some things like, man, I wish I would have been more patient there or more understanding there. I I, I wish I would have handled that differently or kind of stepped back from this moment with this knowledge. But I didn't know because I was was ignorant. And I I want, still, I'm on this journey myself because I've got a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 16-year-old. So I'm still in this journey of, of trying to father well. And I know, like, I've got to cure ignorance And the way you cure ignorance is with wisdom. And where you find wisdom is mentors and study. And I want to invite you to, number one, bring a mentor into your life. In the book of Titus, um, Paul literally wrote uh, this in Titus 2 and 4. 
so that they may encourage young women to love their husbands and to love their children. The who that they may encourage is the older women. He said, I want you to take the generation before these young ladies, and I want you to connect them on purpose, the older generation to the younger generation. He's like, okay, got it. Connect. We need mentorship, apprenticeship. Great. What for? He's like, teach them how to love their children. Teach them how to love their husbands. At which point, a lot of us would be like, don't they know how to do that already? No. We don't know how to love properly. And many times we were trained through poor family units growing up how to do the exact wrong thing. And so it's not just learning, it is relearning. And we need people who have figured it out We need people who have actually walked through those seasons of life. We need them to come alongside of us. And we not only need them to come alongside of us, we need to invite them into our lives. We need to ask for mentorship. We need to take older men out to lunch and be like, train me, teach me, show me what you know, tell me what to do. My child, I'm not connecting with them right now. Did you ever have that happen? What did you do when that happened? I'm I'm frustrated. What do I do? Like, I I just feel so many pressures with work, and then I come home, and I've got a three-year-old, and I I feel like I, I need to give something I don't have. I'm emotionally depleted. What do I do to not just stay frustrated, but to gain wisdom on here's what to do? This morning, I, I texted several mentors in my life who have been father figures to me that I invited into my journey. I texted them Happy Father's Day and, and, and texted them what they meant to me and the top lessons that I learned from them. But I invited them into my life and I can look. I have a special relationship with my children, genuinely. And I'm, I don't want to say that braggingly. I, I genuinely don't. But I, I, I genuinely have a, a good relationship with my children. And so many of the reasons as to why is because a mentor helped me connect with them. I can remember a moment where I like, was not connecting with my daughter the way that I, I wanted to. And I, I took a mentor out to lunch, and I'm like, here's what I'm facing. Did you ever face that? And he said, yes, you're going to face it again. I'm like, well, what did you do? And he told me what he did, and then I did that in, in my relationship, and it, it just reconnected. See, mentorship matters, and it's a lost art in the church today because we're losing all things personal. Now everything is a podcast, and everything is like lessons learned through online. But we need personal mentorship. We need older men training younger men. We need older ladies training younger ladies. And we need to go on this journey of wisdom. Somebody says, well, where do I start? Well, you can by reading that book, The Intentional Father by John Tyson. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. But we've got to come to this place where ignorance is replaced with wisdom. Uh, The third thing that I will do is I will heal my personal brokenness. I will heal my personal brokenness. On, On my way out for this service, I stood in front of this wall that has some art that my wife made for me. And it's actually art from my father's journal. Uh, My father only made one journal entry before he passed away. And um, it's just very precious to me. 
and my wife had an artist like mimic his handwriting. I don't know how she did it, but some way she mimicked his handwriting and she turned it into art for me. And one of the things that my father wrote in that journal was a a moment where he was sensing his own personal brokenness. And he wrote in there, Lord, please level the rebel in me. Level the rebel in me. And when we deal with our personal brokenness, we see the rebel in us. And we're mindful that it exists. And what the rebel is, is the thing that's fighting against our aspirational values. Of who we want to be as a person, and in this context, of who I want to be as a man and father. And there are these personal and generational pulls that take us to the rebel. Some of these things are personal, meaning they're brand new to you. But a lot of these things are generational. It's the same things that your forefathers and your fathers wrestled with. Uh, The church world calls it generational curses. The the, educational world will call it pattern behavior. That that's the behavior you saw as a child, so that's the behavior you mimic. You either accept it, or you make an inward vow and go on the complete other side. You were abused as a child, and so it's like, I'll never discipline my children. And it's that inward vow. You hated it so much that you went the other way. And when we have these types of pains in our life, we either duplicate that pain or make an inward vow and take us on the complete other side. But either way, it needs healing. And so out of this, we have these personal pains, these wounds, a scar, I have some scars. Each one of these scars will serve as a memory of my place of brokenness where I am healed. And I could point to the scar and tell you this is a scar when I got into a fight and I broke my hand and had to have surgery. And I've got a scar there from when I was a teenager. Is one of those things I had to walk away from. Um, but I, I did. I got into a fight when I was 16. I broke my hand and had to get a plate. And so I've got a scar there that could teach you a lesson. Um, so scars are places of my life that could be teaching moments. Wounds are places I don't want you to touch because when you touch that, you'll see my hurt. You touch a wound, you'll pull away. You, you touch a wound, you feel it. And in those moments, you could slap that, you, and I'm like, well, it doesn't hurt. Why? It's a scar, but you touch a wound. And in those moments where you're seeing extreme reaction, it's like, why are they getting so angry? There's a boy in that man, and he's hurting. Because within every man, oftentimes there is a boy. And in your father, there was a boy. What if in him you could see? What if in your father you could see the hurting boy? And in these moments, you see these wounds, and when you touch them, when you get close to them, you'll see a pullback, and you'll see a hiding. I don't want you to see it. I don't want you to touch it. I don't want you to be around it. Why? Because it still hurts. And we have these personal places of brokenness, and many of them are generational. And a man 
who is making a decision to be an intentional father, he works on healing those places. He does not hide them. He heals them. Through counseling, if necessary, through the Spirit of God, so be it, through reading, through impartation, through mentors, through laying on of hands, through prayer. He does not hide them anymore. He faces them and he conquers them. Because a man knows if it's not treated, it's transferred. And that if I do not treat this in my life, it will get transferred to the next generation. In my life, my father uh, healed so much brokenness. And thank God for the generations who came before us who fought battles that I'll never have to fight. I don't have to fight addiction. My father broke it. I could list many things that my father faced and beat in his life that because he beat those things, I, I never had to wrestle with them. But one thing that like took my father and my uncle, my father died when he was 44, my uncle died when he was 56, was heart attacks and heart disease. And in that area of our life, it was not healthy ever. Um, We would eat at McDonald's two times a day, quarter pounder with cheese and a Diet Coke. And... That was just the way it was. The meat and cheese drawer was frozen or cold candy because it's the best way to eat a Kit Kat is cold. And all of these types of things. That was our culture. And every family has one. Well, our culture was very unhealthy physically. And my father was very sharp mentally and he was very sharp spiritually. But physically, that was not an area that was strong in, but it was an area where conviction would come to his heart because he knew he was not rising to that aspirational value. But there would be a rebel that would pull up and take him back to his worst self. And so out of that, he knew, because the Spirit of God was dealing with him about this, that in his life, this was something he needed to address. Now, this is an important point of distinction because people think I'm talking about weight. I'm not talking about weight. I'm talking about the areas of your life that the Holy Spirit is trying to check you on as something that is dangerous for you. This is not about weight. This is about health. And in this area, in Sims men, from my grandfather to my uncle to my father to my great-grandfather, was in an area that the enemy used to take us out. And for some, it's alcoholism. For others, it's anger. For some, it's addiction. Uh, But these are issues that different families have to deal with. And for us, it was this issue. Other families, they can deal with it and, and maybe even do unhealthy things, and it doesn't affect them. But for our family, it does. And it would be ignorant of me and irresponsible for me not to check it. Does that make sense? And so I I knew, like in my life, this was something I needed to address. So by the time I'm 30 years old, though, I'm 296 pounds. And I'm at this stage where I'm like, I've got to make a change. And I went on this journey. Well, I'm still on it today of not just, I'm not looking for weight. I'm looking for health. I want to be healthy and strong to run my race. I'm not looking for anything cosmetically. I don't care how I look in a suit. I don't want pride in any shape, form, or function in my life. But I want to be healthy and strong to run my race. And I want to slay any giants for my kids. 
and for the grandkids that come after me. And so out of this, one of the things that I've done is force cardio. <laughs> and so by force cardio, I mean people making you run. And, and so out of that, I, I sign up for programs a lot that just get my heart rate up because I like lifting weights, but running and all those things is just genuinely not something that I found appetizing. And so uh, this week, actually, I'm on the treadmill and I do not want to be there. I'm coming off vacation where it's like, I know I need to work, you know, have you ever felt that way? But you're also sore because you were on vacation and really didn't do that much. And now you're here and it's like the third day back. So you're sore from the first two. And like, I'm there and I'm like, I do not want to do it. And so like, I'm keeping the treadmill out of low. I'm like, I'll just do a slow jog. And you know, that type of thing. But I can feel that tension in my soul. What is it? It's the rebel pulling you away from aspirational values. And I can kind of sense this, I kid you not, all of a sudden a song plays, and maybe some of you recognize it. I'll not sing it, but a song plays, There Goes My Hero, Watch Him As He Goes. And I kid you not, I have a flashback. And the flashback I have is my father coming and telling us as a family he wanted to get healthier, And so out of that, he's going to buy a treadmill. And he did. He bought a treadmill, put it in the the bedroom. And he told my mom, I want you to hold me accountable. And this worked for like three days. He would get on the treadmill and she would watch how many miles he got. But then as soon as we saw the system where my mom would go out, he would pay me to get on the treadmill and log the miles. And then when we heard the garage door open, my mom was back home, I would get off the treadmill, run upstairs, he would get on the treadmill, wet his head like he had been sweating, and she would come back and see uh, the miles and that type of thing. And it was just, you know, it's still a memory today. But I literally flash back and I'm on a treadmill and I remember this moment. And when I thought of treadmills, I thought of that, of like his utter disdain for this. And this song is playing, There Goes My Hero. And my father was my hero, but he never saw me in in person preach my first message, get married, have my first child. And it wasn't because God was unfaithful and it wasn't because God isn't good. It's because there's a thief and he will use whatever he can use to hurt you, your family, and your children. And for some of us, it's food. For some of us, it's alcohol. For some of us, it's anger. For some of us, it's addiction. For some of us, it's unforgiveness. For some of us, it's bitterness. But at the end of the day, it's wounds. It's personal and generational pulls that pull us away from our aspirational values. You know what a man does? A man confronts him. He doesn't hide him anymore and he doesn't act like he's not wounded. He doesn't fake it until he makes it. He pulls it out with the help of God and the Spirit. He fixes it. And he does whatever he can do because he knows, a man knows, I'm not just doing it for me. I'm doing it for the children and the grandchildren that come after me. I'm doing it for my wife. I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for my sons. I'm doing it for my daughters. 
With the help of Jesus, he heals his personal brokenness. Number four, the fourth thing that a man will do is I will prioritize my family. I'll be involved with them. Somebody, this is so simple, but it's just the truth. My, my father, when he loved riding motorcycles, that's just, he loved it. He had a dirt bike when he was a teenager, fell in love with it. And if I could do anything, genuinely, if I could do anything and my father was uh, still on this earth, I would buy him a Harley because he always wanted one. But he never bought one. He never got it. The closest he got to it was a Honda Classic 1500. And he liked it because it sounded like a Harley. And I can remember to this day when he sold it to buy my, my, my sister a car. Because a father will sacrifice. But he, he enjoyed that bike. And I enjoyed it because when I was on the back of that bike with him, we'd ride up Ratliff's Ferry. We'd stop at these little gas stations, you know, eat a little lunch, go by the reservoir, Natchez Trace, just ride. But when I was on the back of that bike, he had me in the palm of his hand. He could have told me anything about God and I would have believed it. Anything about scripture, and I would have believed it. Anything about politics, anything about marriage, anything about money, and I'd have believed it. Not because he was perfect, but because he was present. And my father would write about in a journal, level the rebel in me. And I would look at him as perfection in those moments. And an intentional father knows, like, that's just a big part of it is me showing up. It's just me being in the car, teaching them to drive, at the game, throwing the ball, even if I don't know how to throw it right, in the ocean, swimming with them, whatever it may be. It's like in these moments, like when I give my child access to those things and I take the time to do it. And so many men, they don't want to do it. You know why? They don't like themselves. And they think, I won't throw the ball good enough. Or I won't say everything right. And like we forget our children aren't looking for us to be perfect. In their eyes, we already are. They're just looking for us to show up and be there with them. And a father who's looking to do this stays involved and he knows the want to is there. Even when the prodigal goes astray, he knew like the father was waiting. And maybe even if your children are a little bit younger or older now and like they're my age or that type of thing, inviting them with that sense of warmth into your space is a gift to them. But the fifth thing, and I'll close with this, that a father does, and I appreciate you all for listening so well. I know I've I've covered a lot and said a lot. But with each one of these points, I want the Spirit to just make an impact any way He can. And the fifth thing that a father does is he makes a decision that I will raise my children. I will raise my children. Somebody says, well, what do you mean by that? I never knew this. I found this out through some of the wisdom I was searching for to be a better father. But have you ever heard that term, raise your children? or I was raised by my mom, or I was raised by my dad. You know where that term raise comes from? Like, what does that even mean, raise a child? It came from Roman culture. And in Rome, 
children didn't have at the time the Bible was talking, raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In Roman culture, children were viewed as like commodities. Like, why do you have a child? So they can help me on the farm. Like, it wasn't like we love children and they didn't have programs like child protective services that made sure children were okay. There was not that same regard to children. Christianity changed the world. And one of the things that changed was the treatment of children. But out of this in Roman culture, if you did not uh, want your child, when it was born, the mother would come and set the child before you. If you did not want the child, you would turn your back on it and walk away. They called this exposure. And if both parents did this, the child was then taken in this process called exposure and turned into either a slave or a prostitute. Bound by some type of master and introduced to all types of things regarding who they were physically as a person. Exposed. If you wanted the child, and you can imagine this child, a baby, laying before a father, if he wanted the child, he would pick it up and he would raise it. And to himself, to that child, and to everyone else, he would acknowledge, This is my child. I want it. I claim it. It's mine. From that point forward, it would come underneath his protection and come into his household. And there is in every single person who's listening to this a cry within our hearts that longs to be raised by our fathers. That longs to be picked up and said, you are mine. I claim you. Let me tell you who you are. Let me give you a name. Let me give you an identity. Let me show you who you are. And so many times it's just so easy to not raise, but to turn our back. And whenever we turn our back on on a, a child, someone else will raise them. And something else will raise them. And it will always be something that confuses them sexually or brings them over into an addiction. And they don't have a proper understanding as to what these things are or what these things look like or these types of roles because they've never had anyone pick them up and show them. And me and my wife were talking about this the other day, and she was like, who would turn their back on a child? And I said, well, love, like honestly today, we've got parents who are so busy, so busy with work, so busy with life, that their children are walking through all types of things in high school, all types of things in junior high. And instead of coming back and being like, let me tell you who you are. I'm not leaving you to this world. Let me tell you who you are as a man. Let me tell you who you are as a woman. Let me tell you who you are as a child. Let me name you. 
Let me claim you. Let me love you. Let me bless you. I'm not having you walk through that without knowing who you are. I'm not having you walk through that without knowing whose you are. I'm not having you walk through that without my love and my seal of approval on your heart. That it's just so easy to just kind of turn our back, not because we want to, but because we're so focused on career and we're so focused on work and we're so focused on all these other things. That instead of raising our children in moments where they need us the most to guide them, we just leave them exposed and think they'll figure it out. But a man comes in and he knows. He knows they need me to pick them up. My daughter, she was singing at Highland Colony this morning. And yesterday she was so nervous. And I get it. I can remember being uh, nervous, especially stepping on a stage. And so I grabbed her and I said, sweetie, let me tell you who you are. You are bold and you are courageous. You are anointed and you are gifted. And it is not about getting up there and being perfect. I can't tell you how many times I preach and I walk off the stage and I wonder, was it okay? It happened to me last service. Was I too long? Did I say enough? Did I not say this right? Like, this happens to us all the time. But I said, love, what you're fighting for is not perfection. What you're fighting for is the courage to step out and get in the arena. The courage to step out and see God, because you'll never see God unless you step out. And let me tell you who you are. You are a bold, courageous, strong, young woman. And out there in the world, there are things that are chaotic, but there are also things that are beautiful. But you'll never see the beautiful things unless you face the fears and the chaoses. And you are strong and very courageous. I said, I want you to know I'm proud of you not for singing well, which I know you will, but I am proud of you for being willing to step on the stage. What is that? Let me raise you. I tell her all the time, here's how beautiful you are. Here's how precious you are. I know I'm competing against another man who might not do that. At some point in her life, I want her to distinguish, wait a minute, my daddy tells me A, B, and C. If I'm going to be in a relationship with you, I need you to tell me I am A, B, and C. I want to raise a standard in her heart of what a man is. I want to raise a standard in her heart of what a husband, come on somebody. Like I want her to see it. I want her to know it. And with my sons, I want to do the same thing. I watch what God did for Jesus. And you see Jesus navigate. There was a moment in Jesus' life where they were trying to make him something he wasn't. And they came to him and said, we see who you could be. You could be a king. And they wanted to make him something he wasn't. And Jesus walked away from them. And did not commit himself to him because he knew who he was. He navigated temptation without bowing his knee. He navigated pain without bowing his knee. He navigated betrayal without bowing his knee. And my question is, how? I'll tell you how. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. You know why? The Father put it there. And not only did the Father put the Spirit of the Lord on His Son, but you know what the Father also did? The two times you see God speak from heaven audibly over His Son, you know what He did? He said, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And when you have that seal 
of approval and love from a father, it helps you navigate life of I know who I am, I know whose I am, I can say no to temptation, I can walk through these things that try to make me something I'm not, I don't have to bow my knee to this world because I have found approval from something else. Jacob shows us if you do not get a blessing from your father, you will scheme to get it some other way. Romans, I'll close with this. Romans chapter 8. Watch this. For you, who's you? You, (laughs) me, have not received a spirit of slavery, exposure, leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Watch this. As sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. What's the cry of your heart? Right now, what's the cry of your heart? According to the scripture, the cry of your heart, the cry of my heart is what? Father! The cry of my heart is Abba, Father. He said, there's something in you that craves the validation that comes from a father. There's something in you that craves, am I good enough from a father? There's something in you that wants to know your father sees you and approves of you. There's something in you that wants to know, know, will my father be affectionate with me? This word Abba means like daddy. It means like not just the one who created you, but one who wants to know you and hold you. One who wants to be with you. And he says, right now, your spirit, yours and mine, is crying out for that. And so he says, because of that, watch what the spirit does in verse 16. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that you are the children of God. And God says, look, I know in the natural you might not have had an earthly father who told you you are loved and told you you are seen and told you you are valuable. And I know so many of you men are looking for that validation in your life and you never received it from your father or they're not there to give it to you now. He said, let me tell you, God is stepping into that place in your life right now and your heavenly father is telling you, you are my son, you are my daughter. What you did not get from your father Jacob you can wrestle with God and get from God God can bless you God can heal you God can restore you God can pick you up and what you did not get from a father you can get from your heavenly father or what an earthly father may have messed up your heavenly father can fix you'll not repeat the same mistakes and it's not because your earthly father didn't do you right it's because your heavenly father did he fought for you he loved you he sent his son Jesus to die for relax in that love and as fathers we have to give it because one of the chief ways God gives his love and validation to his sons and his daughters is through your hands and through your voice through your words through your blessing My wife and I read this article of how the way you greet each other as a husband and wife matters. And so it was talking about uh, drawing in close. And the article was, was mentioning like taking a moment for 20 seconds to just grab your spouse. Like before you leave the house, 20 seconds, just grab and hold. And they said, something just happens even in your nature after 20 seconds. 
And, you know, the longer you're married, the, the greetings and the goodbyes just go so much shorter. It's like, bye, off to work. Or you walk in, it's like, hey. And it's like, change that. Like, come and embrace for, like, 20 seconds, and it matters. And so, anyway, we're like, let's try it. And so, like, one day I came, and I grabbed my wife. She's like, are you counting? I'm like, yes, <laughs> I am counting. But I'm like, just enjoy it. Uh, and so we're here, and so we were doing that. And so I started doing it with my, my children. And so for my oldest son, Boston, he's, he's strong now. He's stronger than I am. Like, just a, a man, and so, like, I grabbed him. I can feel his strength. And so I'm, I'm hugging him, and he's hugging me back. But I can feel the tension. Like, has that ever happened in you? Like, you felt the tension in somebody. It's like, I don't think I want to be hugging right now. And I could feel that tension. And so I just grabbed the back of his head next to mine. And I just said, son, relax. And then I said, in my love. And I could just feel his whole body just kind of exhale. And just a moment where my son is in my arms. This is strength. And I just know like the father in so many of our lives just wants to say, would you come unto me, all you who are heavy laden? And will you just relax? in my love. Breathe out all of that tension and know you are not alone. You have a father who's on this journey with you. And then what if as a father you could do that for your sons and your daughters and your wife to come in and say, you are so safe with me that you can be fully known and at the same time fully loved and fully blessed. Not because you're perfect, but because you're mine. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each and every person here. Every single man, every single father, every single mother, every single daughter. And Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus that your spirit is working mightily in their lives. Father, I thank you that as we worship today and as we we go into your presence, that, Father, your spirit heals us, restores us, blesses us, and washes over us. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that some of us, we need healing. And I thank you, Father, we find it in your presence today. And, Father, I thank you, others of us, we receive an impartation today to give healing to our families and to give healing to our sons, our daughters, and our wives. And so, Father, I thank you that for every man across our churches today, that you give them a new spiritual strength. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet at all of our our campuses. And let's take a moment to worship the Lord. I I know that there are so many things we can run to, and we're not going to go long, but just for the next two to three minutes, let's just have a moment with the Spirit where we allow Him to touch us. Because sometimes we need a word from God, but other times we received a word from God, and we just need the grace to walk it out. And it's in these moments of worship where we surrender enough for Him to touch us. We don't want to just know these five steps. 
we want to be empowered in grace to do them. And that's what prayer and moments of worship give us. And so across all of our campuses, let's just take, like I said, it's not going to go long. Let's just take a couple of moments to surrender to the Lord and allow his spirit to help us. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord today.